Chapter Nineteen of the Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. Then Aga was blotted out by the dense cloud of dust that billowed out over her and filled the whole room. With it came an intense heat. Green opened his mouth to cry out to Amra and Poxy to cover their faces and especially their noses. Before he could do so his own open mouth was packed with dust and his nostrils were full. He began sneezing and coughing explosively while his eyes ran tears in their efforts to wash out the dirt that caked and burned them. Clods of dirt struck him, hurled by the blast. They didn't hurt because they were so small and so fluffy. But they fell so swiftly and in such numbers that he was half buried under them. Even in the midst of his shock he couldn't help being thankful that he'd been breathing out when the heat struck him. Otherwise he'd have sucked in air that would have seared his lungs and he'd have dropped dead. As it was, wherever his skin had not been covered by cloth he felt as if he were suffering a bad case of sunburn. Painfully he rose on all fours and began crawling toward the other room, where he thought the dust would not be so thick. At the same time he tugged at Amra's arm, at least he supposed it was her arm since she'd been so close to him when the explosion took place. His gesture was intended to tell her that she should follow him. She rose and followed him, touching him from time to time. Once he stopped and he turned to find out what was bothering her, even if he felt that he couldn't stand much more of the almost solid dust in his lungs and had to get out to open air or strangle. Then he knew that the woman was Amra, for she was carrying a child in her arms. The child had a scarf around her head, and, as he remembered, Poxy was the only infant so dressed. Coughing violently, he rose to his feet, pulling Amra to hers, and swiftly walked toward where he hoped the exit was. He knew he'd fallen on his face in the general direction of the doorway. If he kept in a straight line he might make it without wandering off to one side. He found soon enough that he was going just opposite, for he fell headlong over a body on the floor. When he got up again he ran his hands over the body. The skin was crusty, scaly. Aga's burned corpse. The cutlass was lying by her side, assuring him of her identity. Reoriented, he turned back, still pulling Amra by the hand. This time he ran into a wall but he had his free hand stretched out in front of him for just such an event. Frantically he groped to his left until he came to the corner of the room. Then, knowing that the doorway lay back to his right, he turned and felt along the metal until he came to the opening. He plunged through it, almost fell into the other room, which was as dark and dusty as the one he'd just left. He trotted on ahead, bumped into another wall, groped to his right found the next exit and ran through that. Here the air was much more free of dust. He could actually make out outlines of his companions as the light was penetrating the fainter haze. Nevertheless, he and the others were coughing and weeping as if they were trying to eject lungs and eyeballs alike. Spasm after spasm shook them. Green decided that this room wasn't really much better than the others. So he led Amra and Poxy around the right-angled corner and into the dark tunnel. 
Here his violent rackings began to quiet down, and by rapid blinking, which forced tears, he cleaned his eyes of much of the dust. Anxiously he peered down the passageway toward its end, where the cave mouth formed a dim arch in the moonlight outside. It was as he'd feared. Somebody stood there, outlined in the beams, bent forward, peering in. He thought that it must be the priestess, for the figure was slight and the hair was pulled up on top of the head in a great psyche-knot with a feather stuck through it. Moreover, around her feet were four or five cats. His coughing betrayed him, for the priestess suddenly whirled and trotted off on her stick-like legs. Green dropped Amra's hand and ran, at the same time drawing his stiletto from his belt, as he'd lost his cutlass during the explosion. He had to stop the priestess, though he didn't know what good it would do. The savages, sooner or later, would come to the sanctuary to ask if she'd seen any of the refugees, and if they couldn't find her they would at once suspect what had happened. The chances were that they already knew. Surely the noise of the blast must have penetrated even to their ears. Or had it? The airwaves had to round several perpendicular turns before reaching the cave-mouth, and it might be that the noise had seemed much greater to Green than it actually was because he'd been so close to it. Perhaps there was some hope. He ran into the clearing before the cave-mouth. The sun was just coming over the horizon, so he could see things clearly. The old woman was nowhere in sight. The only live things were several drunken cats. One of these began to rub its back against Green's leg and purred loudly. Automatically he stooped down and caressed it, though his gaze flickered everywhere for a sign of the priestess. The door of her hut was open, and since it was so small he could be certain that she had no room in there to hide from him. She must have run off down the path. If so, she wasn't making any noise about it. There were no outcries from her to call her companions to her help. He found her lying face down on the path, halfway down the hill. At first he thought she was playing possum, so he turned her over, his stiletto ready to shut off any outcry. A glance at her hanging jaw and ashen color convinced him that her possum-playing days were over. At first he thought she'd tripped and broken her neck, but an examination disproved this. The only thing he could think of was that her old heart had given away under the sudden fright and the stress of running. Something brushed his ankles. So startled was he, so convinced that a spear had just missed him, he leaped into the air and whirled around. Then he saw that it was only the cat that had rubbed itself against him when he'd first come out of the tunnel. It was a large female cat with a beautiful long black silky coat and with golden eyes. It exactly resembled the earth cat and was probably descended from the same ancestors as its terrestrial counterpart. Wherever Homo sapiens of the unthinkably long ago had penetrated, he seemed to have taken his canine and feline pets. "'You like me, huh?' said Green. "'Well, I like you, too. But I'm not going to if you keep on scaring me. I've been through enough tonight for a lifetime.' The cat, purring, paced delicately toward him. "'Maybe you can do me some good,' 
he said, and lifted the cat to his shoulder where she crouched, vibrating with contentment. I don't know what you see in me, he confided softly to her. I must be a frightful-looking object, what with being covered with dust and my eyes red and raw and running. But then you're not so delightful yourself, what with your beery breath blowing in my face. I like you very much. What's your name? What is your name? Let's call you Lady Luck. After all, when I rubbed you I found the priestess dead. If she hadn't died she'd have got away to warn the cannibals, and obviously you, her luck, had deserted her for me. So Lady Luck it will be. Let's go back up the hill and see what's happening to the rest of my friends." He found Amra sitting down at the cave's mouth, cuddling Poxy in an effort to quiet her. Nine others were there, too. Grisquetter, Soon, Miran, Inzox, three women, two little girls. The rest, he presumed, were lying dead or unconscious in the altar-room. They made a dirty-looking, red-eyed, weary group, not good for much except lying down and passing out. "'Look,' he said, "'we have to sleep, whatever else happens. We'll go back into the first chamber and get some there, and—' As one, the others protested that nothing would get them to return anywhere near that horrible fiend-haunted room. Green was at a loss. He thought he knew exactly what had happened, but he just could not explain to these people in terms they'd understand. And they probably would have a dark distrust of him from then on. He decided to take the simple, if untrue, explanation. Undoubtedly Aga provoked a host of demons by striking at the wall behind the altar, he said. I tried to warn her, you all heard me. But those demons won't bother us again, for we are now under the protection of the cat, the cannibal's totem. Moreover, it is the nature of such beings that, once they've released their fury and taken some victims, they are harmless, quiescent for a long time after. It takes time for them to build up strength enough to hurt human beings again. They swallowed this offering as they would never have his other explanation. If you will lead the way, they said, we will return. We put our lives in your hands. Before going into the cave he paused to take another survey. From his spot in the clearing, which was almost on the top of the hill, he could look over the treetops and see most of the island, except where other hills barred his view. The island had stopped moving, and had settled down against the plain itself. Now, to the untutored eye, the entire mass looked like a clump of dirt, rocks, and vegetation for some reason rising above the grassy seas. It would remain so until dusk, when it would again launch itself upon its five-mile-an-hour journey to the east, and, once having reached a certain point there, it would reverse itself and begin its nocturnal pilgrimage toward the west, back and forth shuttling for how many thousands of years. What was its purpose, and whom had its builders been? Surely they could not have conceived in their wildest dreams of its present use a mobile fortress for a tribe of cannibals. Nor could they have seen to what uses their dust-collectors would be put. They couldn't have guessed that, millennia thence, men, ignorant of their originally intended purpose, would be using the devices as part of their religious ritual 
and of human sacrifice. Green left the others in the room next to the one where the explosion had taken place. They lay down on the hard floor and at once went to sleep. He, however, felt that there were certain things that had to be done, and that he was the only one physically capable of doing them. End of chapter 19